Good morning. Um, if you brought your phone today, can you do me a favor and take it out? And um, I need you to send a text message to the phone number 22333. Uh, if this is your first Sunday, um, this is going to be a little real-time uh, poll, text poll thing that we do. So text the word drama to the number 22333 to participate. While you're doing that, let me just go ahead and catch you guys up in the past couple of weeks. So we're in part three of a series called Loving Mondays. We've been talking about work and what does God have to say about our work. And two weeks ago, we started with a foundation that the truth is work is actually good. Though we may not see it as good, it is good. God pronounces it good. God wires us to work. It is something that we need for human flourishing. And um, so it kind of set the foundation there. Then last week, we talked about how the purpose of work is actually to serve. That is why we exist, to serve the world, to make a difference. And the big question we wrestled with last week was, um, ultimately, it's not what we do, but we've got to answer this question. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? And getting back to the ultimate purpose, how is your work making a difference in this world. So for the past two weeks, if you are just someone and you love to work, the more, the more work, the better. The last two weeks have been firing the workaholic up inside of you because you're like, man, this is great. Work is good. I'm just going to put in 150 hours next week. So the question before us this morning is, yes, work is good, but is there such a thing as too much of a good thing? Um, so let's jump right into the survey, if we can. We've got three questions. So the first question is this. In a typical week, how many hours do you work? How many hours in a week do you typically work? Now, if you're in school and you work, you can add those two numbers together. You know, if you have a kind of an atypical work, uh, just go ahead and think about that for a minute. What is the number of hours? And text the letter A, B, C, D, or E. Um, so I want to see how we stack up against a Gallup poll that was done back in August of this year. Um, see how our congregation in Washington, D.C. does to that. So what Gallup's poll found was that 50% of people surveyed said that they were working more than 40 hours. They were working 41 or more. And now we have come in at, goodness gracious, yeah, 61%, right? 71%. What? All right. We're, we're at about, yeah, 72, 72% of us. So we are, we are way north of that mark, okay? There are a lot of us working lots and lots of hours. All right, next question. How often do you keep on working after you leave work? How often do you continue to work, checking that work email, taking calls, you know, whatever it is, how often do you keep working after leaving work? Again, text that letter. Is it never, sometimes, often, always? What is it? So um, there's a company called Good Technology, which commissioned a survey a couple of years ago, and they asked this question, and um, they found that 80% of those surveyed said that they actually work after leaving work. And we are pretty much right dead on that number. Thank you, whoever just texted the last one in. Okay, so here's, here's the last question. And this one's getting a little bit more personal, but it's cool because it's an anonymous text survey. So nobody's got to know it was you. Do, you. do you ever check your work email or do other work in bed? In bed, be honest, all right? See some people nudging other people right now. Okay, so 
when you climb under the covers at night, do you actually take some sort of a smartphone or tablet or laptop, or are you doing some sort of work-related thing after you crawl in to bed? Go ahead and text the letter there. So um, good technology found that um, 50% of those surveyed said, yes, I admit it, I am working in bed. And uh, we are a little bit north of that number. It looks like 58% of us admit that we are working from bed. So really, you know, what this means is that there's really no limits anymore, right? <laughs> I mean, you can work from pretty much anywhere. And here's the thing. This is actually becoming a thing. And the reason we know it's becoming a thing isn't just from surveys like these, but it's from what companies are doing. See, companies are catching on to this trend and so they're starting to make products that cater to the, to the, the needs we have to work 24-7. So check out this picture we have here. So here it is. Why just have a bed or just have a desk when you can have the desk bed? I mean, in about three seconds, you can just, just take about four steps around your headboard, and all of a sudden, you, there you are. You're at work. Pretty amazing product. Okay, let's look at the next one. This bed is called a dot bed. Okay, it's kind of funky looking. I don't know that I'd want to sleep in that thing. But anyway, um, that bar that goes you know, all the way across, that is just tailor-made. You want to eat in bed. You want to just fire up your laptop and set it right on there. I mean, you can basically sleep, and in an instant, you can be up, and you can be working from your bed. All right, this next one is my absolute favorite. You got the bed right underneath the desk. I mean, this is an actual product that is being sold. Um, and, and I love this. I mean, just imagine it. You know, you're, you're going and you're going and you're sitting there and you're typing, you know, at, you're working at your desk and you're just going to sheer exhaustion. And you can push right into that because literally as you're sitting there working, if you just start to just kind of nod off, you just, <laughs> you know, and there, and there you go. You're in bed. It's beautiful. You can just fall asleep right in the middle of your work. Now, there's one more for you. Has anybody seen these interesting things? These pod bed things? Man, I don't know what you do in those things. I mean, are you supposed to be like sleeping, getting a massage? You can be working. It looks like someone could come up and just start pulling your teeth out. You know, it's like, kind of like a dentist chair. But anyway, um, nevertheless, there's all this stuff out there. This is becoming a real legitimate thing. And the reason is, is because with the technology we have today, the world we live in today, we can truly work anytime, anywhere, can't we? I mean, really, the, the boundary lines are so blurred now, we're, we're taking work right into bed with us, okay? And sometimes that's great for our convenience, but also the danger is it's very easy for work to completely take over our lives and dominate where it is not supposed to dominate. So as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, yes, work is good. Yes, we are absolutely made to work. It's part of how we live out God's design for our lives. But we are also not only made to work, but made to rest. So two weeks ago, we looked at the first and second chapters of the Genesis story of God at work creating the world. And if you remember Genesis 2, 2, God on the seventh day, God finished all the work he had done, we talked about. And what did he do? He rested. He rested. And so whether you're here and you're like, 
oh man, like, so, you know, was it, was it seven literal 24 hour days that God created? Or was it, you know, 15 billion years that God created through this process? Or, you know, how, how, how was that? What, what did that look like? It, it doesn't really matter at this moment, which of those two things it was. The point is this, that the rest is built into the natural rhythm of the way this world works. So not only do we see God working and resting, but we actually get the, one of the 10 commandments is about us resting. The fourth commandment in Exodus 28 talks about how we're supposed to work for six days. And then on the seventh day, we're not supposed to work. We're supposed to rest, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, I'm not going to ask you guys to raise your hands or text on this one, but here's the reality. I just know this one, okay? We are doing a pretty lousy job at this whole like seventh day Sabbath resting thing, aren't we? I mean, that's pretty much something for most of us. It's just so like impossible that we don't even like consider it. It's like, well, God, that must've been one of those that just, you know, that was for, for a couple thousand years ago, but it certainly could not apply today. That one's impossible, okay? But here's the thing, okay? Before you just tune me out. I'm not just talking about Sabbath in terms of resting for, you know, the seventh day of the week. For many of us, we're not practicing any sort of a rhythm of Sabbath rest, even in our daily life. Like we're just going and going and going. But God has actually wired us to where we need these periods of renewal and rest and recharge. In fact, God has done something kind of cool. He's actually programmed us. He's uniquely designed us so that three times a day, we actually are supposed to stop whatever we're doing because all of a sudden we come in touch with this need that we have for something. And what does that need? We need food. And we're supposed to actually stop and like chill out and, and take a few minutes just to, just to unplug and eat. How many of us, you know, you know, it's Starbucks in the morning and then, you know, at lunch you're, you're typing with one hand and shoving something into your mouth and, you know, I mean, we just go and go and go and go. And, and some of us need to just get back in touch with this. The way that we have been created is actually for a rhythm of activity and rest. And that is truly the way God has designed the world, if you think about it. I mean, we're in the season, you know, where all the leaves are falling now, the, the seasons are changing, it's getting colder, you know? And basically, in this part of the world, things are shutting down. You know, in terms of nature, things are stopping growing. There's a season of rest and dormancy. And that, when the weather warms back up, we're going to go into that new season. And, and you see it in so many things in the world around us. God has designed this world with a rhythm of work and rest, a rhythm of activity and rest. And it is the exact same for us. So here's the thing. This isn't just something that God tells us to do. What we're finding is that this is actually the best thing for us, this rhythm of work and rest. It used to be 10, 20 years ago that the big buzz in business with all the leadership books and, you know, the ways to be more efficient and for companies to get a better bottom line and, you know, all these things, the key for like maximizing yourself as a professional, as a person was this concept called time management. It was all about managing your time. Many of you guys, yeah, you're remembering that. Some of you are too young to even remember that. And that's awesome. You're a lot cooler than the rest of us. But anyway, um, today it's no longer about managing your time. And that's not, that's not the big thing that companies are focusing on, that leadership consultants are talking about, that studies are showing. It's not the way to increase gains is not time management. It's managing something else, isn't it? It's managing your 
energy. Because time is a finite, non-renewable resource. But energy is a renewable resource. It can be renewed. And so different companies are finding that by enforcing breaks and rest and making their employees go on vacation and, and, and frowning on their employees working just constantly you know, outside of working hours, they're actually finding that their employees are more productive. As well as being happier, they're more creative, they're more energized, they're, the company does better. And so uh, maybe a few of you uh, work for a company like that that is trying to foster this kind of work-life balance. But there's one company that I, I want to share with you. This is just a trip. So they're based out of Amsterdam, and they're a Dutch design firm called Heldergroen. And um, they have a strict policy that at 6 o'clock p.m. at the end of every workday, you will do no more work. And the way they enforce this, we've got a photo up here, is I don't know if you, can, if you can see that there's some steel cables that go from the ceiling down to the desk and there's like a little eye bolt there on the desk. But literally at six o'clock, they, they have this deal where, where the cables just take the desks clear on up to the ceiling. Do you see the desk? It's actually up in the ceiling. That's, that's the desk right there. And everything else gets rolled out. So guess what? If you aren't checking your watch when you go to the bathroom at 5.58, I mean, I don't know. Is your laptop like, you know, is it up in the ceiling somewhere? You can't get it till the next morning. I, I don't know exactly how it works. But this is cool because then what they do is basically employees, I mean, you get shut down. And then that space gets opened up to the community. And it's used as a community space and for all different kinds of things. But it's a way that they encourage their employees to recharge and rest and come back more productive the next day. And more and more companies are finding that this actually makes everybody better. And so some of you are like, man, I would love that. That would be so awesome if the desks in my office went up at six o'clock. I want to move to Amsterdam just so I can work for this company and, you know, be a part of that. I would absolutely love to not have to work. That would be the greatest thing in the world. And some of you are thinking, man, if I didn't have to, I wouldn't. And I, what I want to say to you is I don't necessarily believe that's true. Because if you're anything like me, there's something in us that even if we don't have to work, that we still would. You know why? Because it's deeper than just the work itself. It's more than just checking your phone to stay up on your work email. It's more than just making sure that your boss doesn't need anything from you after hours. It's deeper than that, especially in this city, Washington, D.C., because this is a working city. We come to this city to do something. We come to this city to make a difference in this world. And man, work is huge, isn't it? I mean, it's such a huge topic of conversation. Think about it. When you're out and you meet somebody, it's some sort of a networking thing or whatever, you're just meeting somebody in D.C., there's two questions that invariably always come up. The first question is, so where are you from, right? Because very few people are actually from here. Everybody's from somewhere else. So you figure out where everybody's from. And then the second question is, what do you do? Yeah, what do you do? Work is so much a part of who we are. 
Our identity is wrapped up in our work. In fact, for many of us, we find that our sense of self-worth lies in our work. It's great to be fired up about our work. Work is a good thing. But when our whole self-worth, our whole identity is wrapped up in our work, we have a big time challenge. And here's why. See, your work, just like anything else, is going to have ups and downs. There's going to be good. There's going to be bad. And this doesn't really matter regardless of what your work is, you know, whether you have a traditional job, whether you're a student, whether you're a stay-at-home parent or whatever it is. But your work, you know, you'll have just ups and downs. So the deal is, when your sense of who you are is tied up in what you do, don't miss this, okay? When, when things are on the upswing, when you're up here, Life is good, right? Oh man, just got the promotion. That was great. Oh, did you hear about what the kids did? Man, did you see my you know, semester report card? You're up here, man. Life is good. You're happy. You're able to love people. You know, you're a good Christian person at that point. Okay? But guess what? What happens when things start to go south? What happens inevitably in those seasons of your life, whatever your work is, starts to get difficult? When it's good, you're good. When it's not good, guess what? Neither are you. You're not good. You're not good to be around. All of a sudden, you step back and realize, man, your attitude stinks. I mean, and I'm saying this from my own personal experience because this is what happens to me. Up and down, up and down, up and down. And that is a problem. The other thing that's interesting is that Even in the good times, even when you're up here, what you find, and this especially happens over time, as you're in these good seasons, even the best seasons, you still find yourself with this nagging feeling that something is still missing in your life. Man, well, that project was awesome. You know, that achievement was so great. I mean, can you believe that we did this and we accomplished that? But somehow, it's like there's still something missing. Why am I not fully satisfied? Why am I already looking past this, trying to figure out what's the next best thing? How can we get even better? Because the reality is that we will never be fully satisfied by our work. It just cannot satisfy us completely. It's impossible. And so the problem is when you're, worth is tied to your work, you're going to have an issue. Now, what does God have to say about this idea of worth? Would God say that our worth is wrapped up in our work? Like that it's really about all these different things that we do? I mean, maybe it's just about if we make enough of a difference, if we're a good enough person, maybe that's where our worth lies. Maybe, you know, it's in the legacy that we leave for the next generation. You know, maybe it's our reputation. And, you know, if we're just a good enough person with good enough character, you know, is that where God would say that our worth lies? According to God, where is our worth? I'm glad you asked. According to God, our worth isn't based on what we do. If you want to take notes and fill this in. Our worth isn't based on what we do. It's actually based on whose 
we are. Now, this is a fairly deep concept, so you got to stay with me for a couple of minutes, okay? Because I'm telling you, this is deep, but it is absolutely profound and life-changing. Our worth isn't based on our work. It is based on the truth that we, you and me, we are children of the most high God who loves us no matter what. We are beloved sons and daughters of God, and that is where our worth lies in this life. In the Gospel of Mark, uh, there are four gospel accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And Mark's account, uh, he jumps right in and he's introducing us to Jesus. And Jesus is, uh, we're 11 verses into the first chapter, and Jesus is um, being baptized by John the Baptist. And he's coming up out of the water. Many of you guys have heard this passage before. And it says, as Jesus is coming out, up out of the water, verse 11, a voice came from heaven. And it said, check out these words. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So here is God the Father looking down on Jesus Christ and saying, you know what? You are my beloved. Now, what makes this so interesting is that this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Don't miss this. Okay, Jesus hasn't called a single disciple to him yet. Jesus hasn't done a single teaching. He hasn't given any of those profound truths that would just rock the world and we still would be working with today. He hasn't done any of those. Jesus hasn't performed a single sign or wonder or miracle yet. Jesus hasn't healed a soul. He hasn't done anything. And yet, he is called the beloved son of God. Because the truth is that our worth is not based on what we do. It is based on whose we are. Fast forward to John's gospel. And we're in the 17th chapter. Now, this is like, the very end of Jesus' life. It's his last week, John chapter 17, verse 23. And this is some of the final prayers that Jesus prayed that are captured in one of these accounts. And Jesus has prayed for himself because he knows he's about to endure some tremendous suffering on the cross, dying for the sins of the world. And so he's praying for himself. Then he prays for all of his followers in that day, those who were with him in that day, first century. And then he shifts his prayer focus. This is kind of cool. He shifts his prayer focus to praying for everybody who will ever believe in him, all his followers to come. So that would be us. And this is a snapshot of what he prays. Verse 23, he says, praying to his heavenly father, he says, I am in them, meaning us, and you, his heavenly father, are in me. May they, that's us, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. And many of us have heard that before, okay? But here's the part I don't want you to miss. And he says, may they also know that you love them, that's us, that we are loved, as much as who? 
as much as Jesus, the beloved son of God. We are loved just as much as him. That is Jesus' prayer, that we would know the truth. Can you believe it? That you are adored by your heavenly father just as much as Jesus, who was sinless, who was perfect in every way. That God loves you and is pleased with you because you are his child through faith in Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. It's not just Jesus who's the beloved son. We are beloved sons and daughters of God. Now, you might have heard some sort of derivation of this before. Now, here's the thing. It's one thing to go nod and say, oh, that that sounds good. You know, I I heard that. It's another thing to kind of turn it over in your head a little bit. Okay, I'm beloved son of God. Doesn't really matter what I do. So that kind of is interesting to me. But here's what I'm after. Taking hold of that truth, not just hearing it with your ears, turning it over in your mind, but actually believing it deep down in your heart that you would understand and that you would grasp and take hold of the truth that you are perfect in God's sight because of Jesus Christ. Now, if you can grab onto that, if you can really understand that, and truly, that is one of the greatest challenges in this life to do that. But if you can do it, it will affect every aspect of your life. Um, if you're interested in just like, okay, wait, I'm still, I'm, it's, it's here. It's in my ears. It's in my head. How do I get that down there? Okay. This is a, just a very basic little resource, but uh, Henry Nowen has done this. He's written a book and he's done talks about being the beloved. Okay. Just the idea that we are beloved sons and daughters of God. And I've listened to his talk so many times and I've, I've included a link there in the bottom of your outline. So it's an 18 minute video where he just, he teaches on this. And this may be an opportunity to listen several times to try and get this truth to sink deep into your heart. So I encourage you to try and do that because when you do that, it changes everything. See, you are no longer susceptible to this roller coaster ride where ultimately your mood and your feeling of worth and, you know, just your, your day and your well-being, it's actually tied to something that just fluctuates and varies. You, you no longer have to take the downturns. I had a downturn um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, many of you know that I, am, I was um, raised in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'm a diehard Cincinnati Bengals football fan, for better or for worse, mostly for worse. And so um, anyway, they had two games ago, they were playing on Thursday night football. And if you don't know much about football or the Bengals, uh, the Bengals have historically been just a terrible sports franchise, okay? Where other teams, are, are their goal is the Super Bowl, The Cincinnati Bengals' goal is just to be competitive, okay? We just want to be respectable on the football field. That's, you know, that's basically what the kind of the baseline as a a fan. I just hope we show up today. So we've been having a pretty good run of things recently, and and we were having this primetime national game, which only the good teams, you know, get to be on these types of games. So Thursday night football, all football America is, is watching this thing. Big stage, and the Bengals are playing at home, and they're heavy, heavy favorites against a Cleveland Browns team that has, has not been much better than the Bengals, you know, in, in recent memory. So, man, the stage is set, 
And I am so excited to watch my team on national TV get to play. Well, we get about three quarters through the game and we're starting the fourth quarter. And uh, if I could sum up how the game was going kind of with one picture, it would be this. (laughs) We were not just losing the game. We were getting annihilated. It was utter humiliation in front of a home crowd, a national audience, and I was furious, okay? I know there's some sports fans in the house. You take it personally. You can't help it. You start freaking out, and you are no longer even a resemblance of Jesus in any way, (laughs) shape, or form, right? And It is almost sacrilegious for me to turn off a Bengals game until the final whistle blows. But I literally couldn't take it anymore. And so I pointed the remote at the TV, turned it off, just seething. And in that moment, I did something that I've never done before. See, normally what happens is I... You know, I'm done, the game's over, it's late, and now I go upstairs and I try and sleep. And for the next couple hours, I think about all the things I want to say to Marvin Lewis, the coach of the Bengals. I think I dream about suiting up. I'm so angry, I'm just trying not to be violent. You know what I'm saying? And that's the next couple of hours for me as I sit there and I just loathe. But in that moment, I did something I've never done before. I actually said something out loud that changed it was just, it, I, I can't even explain how, how incredible it was. So I said something out loud. Now, before I tell you what I said, you need to know that I don't walk around my family room like when the TV's on and stuff or whatever. I don't walk around like holding my Bible open, walking around. Like I know I work for a church and I'm a pastor, but like, I don't walk around reciting prayers, okay? I don't, I don't walk around like, you know, quoting Jesus or you know what I'm saying? I don't do that, okay? I'm just like you. Okay, whatever you're doing in your family room when the game's up, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm thinking about, okay? So just forget all the things you might associate with me. But in this one moment, I actually did something uh, different than I normally do. I turned off the television and I said out loud, because the, the game was just an abomination. It was, it was just humiliating. I was so furious. And I just said, I said, you know what? And I spoke these words out. I said, my hope is not in the Cincinnati Bengals. (laughs) Now, you laugh, but literally when I said that, something powerful happened. Something powerful happened because the reality is that I had been living for the past two and a half hours as if my hope was in the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, truly, I had been. And in that moment, I just declared, you know what? My mood, my joy, my peace, my satisfaction level is not going to rise and fall on some lousy football team. And if you're a Redskins fan, you better say amen, okay? (laughs) And I do pull for them, but they're lousy, all right? uh, With all due respect, okay? Our hope, our, our peace, our joy... Our our satisfaction in life does not rise and fall on a football team. And guess what? It doesn't rise or fall on a job. And guess what? It doesn't rise or fall on a relationship. 
It doesn't rise or fall on what people say about you or what you have, including your health. The truth is that our hope, our joy, our peace, our satisfaction, it is found in the one who made us, who delights in us, who has loved us from the very beginning of time, who has knit us together in our mother's womb, And through Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and lived a life we couldn't live and died a death we didn't want to take for ourselves, we, through faith in him, are made righteous. We're made perfect in the eyes of God. And we were actually called beloved, adopted sons and daughters of God. This is a deep truth. And everything in the world fights against this. Everything in the world and everything in us shouts out, you are what you do. You are what people say about you. You are what you have. That's your worth. That's your identity. But there is one voice. And when we get still and when we really reflect, we believe it to be true. And that is that ultimately, I am special. I am worthy. I am loved because I am a child of the most high God. And ultimately, I will not be defined by work or relationship or anything else that has these ups and downs and these ebbs and these flows. Now, this is a deep truth. If you're just hearing it here or you're just processing it here, you have got to go deeper because this changes everything. And it's actually declaring the truth out. The next time you are struggling with work, the next time you get passed over for that promotion, you don't get recognized for the thing that you did. The next time you lose your job, the next time a relationship just tanks, the next time that school doesn't go the way you want it, the next time that your kids don't turn out the way you had hoped or the way you thought they'd gone, and everything is pointing down, you need to reclaim that your worth, your identity, your hope, your joy, your peace, your satisfaction is in the fact that you are the beloved son, the beloved daughter of the most high God. It's deep. It's deep. And if you got you to work hard to get it in because of everything else that's fighting against that truth. But if you can do that, if you can do that, you're actually free from work. Doesn't mean you don't have to still show up tomorrow, okay? (laughs) But you're actually free. Because you see, instead of working to prove yourself, instead of working to show that you matter, instead of working to show that like you're a complete person, instead of working for the man, now, You are truly free to enjoy working for the one who loves you and the one who made you and the one who gave you the gifts he's given you and gave you the opportunity to work and serve where you do. The reality is, as we see in Colossians 3.23, that ultimately we're free because now we work for the Lord. We work for the one who calls us his beloved 
who's already satisfied with us. We can't do anything more to make him love us anymore or any less. He's satisfied because of what Jesus has done for us. So we don't have to prove it to him. He's the greatest boss who's ever lived. Do you realize that? The greatest boss. You know, he doesn't just want the best from you. He wants the best for you. We get to work for a boss who actually doesn't just love us conditionally when we're producing, when, when we're performing. But we work for a boss who loves us unconditionally. There's nothing we can do to earn any more favor with our God. And so what that does is we're no longer slaves to this roller coaster ride. Instead, we're just free. Say, God, thank you so much for what you've done. My work is just an expression of gratitude. I'm just working to serve you in this world. Ultimately, I'm using the gifts you've given me, God, to give back to this world. And that's what I do. When you get to that place, now you are free. You are totally free from the ties, from this sense of slavery to your work. We're going to end this service by celebrating communion today. So if you're uh, on the communion team, if you would go ahead and uh, take your places. Music team is going to come up. I've got a special song that I've asked them to play. And uh, just uh, hear me for a second, because I want to tell you that you might not know this, but communion is actually the celebration of the fact that we are beloved sons and daughters of God. That is what communion is is. Communion is actually a celebration of the fact that our worth in this world, our value as people, is not found in what we do. Our worth isn't in our work. Communion is a celebration that our worth is actually in Jesus Christ and the work that he has already done for us. So, as you come forward, and there'll be different stations um, all over uh, the auditorium. Um, and by the way, we've, we've now are um, going to small little cups. So you'll come and you'll take a, a wafer of bread, and you'll take a little cup, and you'll take the bread and drink the cup, and then you'll, you've got little uh, waste baskets where you can just dispose of the little disposable cup there. Um, but when you come and you do that, it's just remembering, ultimately, that our identity, our worth is not found in what we do. It is found through Christ, that through him, we are actually adopted sons and daughters of the most high God. So I'd ask the team if they would play a song. This is one of my favorite songs ever. And it's really a song that, it's not a song that you're supposed to sing. It's a song that you're supposed to hear. Because this is a song that really captures God's heart for you. And I just want you to allow the words to just wash over you because this is a declaration of something that's true and that is that you are the daughter, you are the son, the beloved one of the most high God. So I'm gonna pray for us and then as you feel led, you can come, you cannot come. It's up to you. Communion is open to everybody here at Grace. But um, that's how we are gonna conclude our service this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much for this gift of work. But um, Lord, many of us, we get 
our whole life so wrapped up in it that it becomes our identity. And maybe for some, it's, it's not in a job, you know, but it's, it's in something else. It's in a relationship. It's in, it's in I don't know, some, something that becomes what defines us, God. And we thank you that our hope is not in a football team. Our hope is not in a job. It is not in a relationship. It's not in children. It's not in anything other than you. That that's where true satisfaction and joy lies. It's in you, through what you have done for us. Lord, I pray that not only would we hear this today, but we would take hold of it, that it would go deep in us and it would allow us to be free from the roller coaster and the downward crashes of this life, to cling to the identity that we are yours and that we are loved and that we then would be able to just truly, truly love others in this world and just be able to give back to what you're doing here. We thank you that you call us your beloved. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.